Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you and your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Obadiah once more. Obadiah, we'll start with verse 15. We are preaching verse by verse through this wonderful, obscure, small book, a series of messages entitled, Major Principles from the Most Minor Prophets. And so far, we have seen up through verse 14, these principles, that God is faithful. Second principle we learned from verse 1 is when you do something for the Lord, it is significant. Everyone is significant in the Lord. And then number three, God is sovereign. At the same time, we saw the fourth principle, that God is gracious. And then we went to verse 5 and saw that God hates pride. And then number six, the sixth principle from last week, that God holds you responsible for the way you treat others. And this morning we find the seventh principle is God is just, the justice of God. And so I entitled this message, The Justice of God, or When God Pounds the Pulpit. That's going to help us understand His justice uh, a little bit when we talk about God's pounding of the pulpit. The... um, Justice of God is not something you hear uh, too much about. It's found in every page or every book of the Bible. It's New Testament and Old Testament. It's uh, God's character that He is just, one of His foremost characteristics. One of the leading books on the attributes of God, uh, written by Arthur Pink, called Gleanings, on the Godhead, where he talks about many of the attributes of God. It is a leading book. You ought to read it. But he does not talk about the justice of God. It's an amazing thing. You don't hear many sermons today on the justice of God. I, I know uh, pastors who preach through books of the Bible, and when they come to texts that deal with the justice of God, they intentionally gloss over them. And uh, I'm not going to do that today. We need to talk about the justice of God. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how God keeps His promises. But today, I want to talk to you about the justice of God, and we learn much about it from verses 15 and 16 of our text. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done. It shall be done unto thee. Remember, he's talking to the 
talking about the Edomites. And he says, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. That sounds like the New Testament. Paul saying, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. That's another term for the justice of God. He said, thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. That is a description of the justice of God. What is the justice of God? When we say God is just, just what do we mean? Well, I think the best definition of the justice of God was given by uh, a fellow by the name of James P. Boyce. James Pettigrew Boyce, what a name. He was uh, the president of Southern Seminary uh, way back when the uh, Civil War uh, broke out. And uh, he was a great theologian. And he, he said this, and I concur, the justice of God is the re that rectitude of character which leads to the treatment of others with strict accordance with their deserts. In other words, it is that rightness of principle that gives people, individuals, what they deserve. That's the justice of God. That is justice, period. In other words, God is just because of that rectitude of character, because of His character, he, His nature. He could not be and would not be God without being just. He cannot be Himself if He does not treat you and I in accordance with what we deserve. And this is the truth of our text. He's basically speaking to Judah, telling them that the Edomites are going to get what they deserve for everything we've been preaching in this little book over the past several weeks. And this, these two verses, this text, gives us five fold, uh, uh, well, a description, about a six-fold description of the justice of God. And so I want to talk to you about the justice of God, and then I want to ask you, what do we do about it? We're going to look at what we can do about the justice of God, what we need to do with it. So first of all, let me say this about the justice of God. The justice of God will culminate in the day of the Lord. Look at verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is a coming period of time in which the Lord will pour out His justice. His wrath upon the world for their sin. It is a constant theme throughout the scriptures. Paul speaks about the day of the Lord. We're going to see many of the Old Testament prophets speak much of the day of the Lord. So first thing I want to speak to you about is, is what is the nature of the day of the Lord? What will the day of the Lord, when it culminates uh, and comes to conclusion, what would it be like? Well, I have many, many scriptures, and I just want to read to you a couple of them today and give you a, a, about the nature of the day of the Lord. What will it be like? Isaiah, the great prophet, said, How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. 
Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, of the, day, the day of the Lord comes, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. That is not a verse you want to read to your children at bedtime. But I want to tell you what, it's in the Word of God, just like, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's the nature of the justice of the Lord. Let me read to you what the prophet Joel says. You want to really study the day of the Lord, you've got to study the prophet Joel. He, he, that's the main theme of, of Joel. All the prophets speak of it, but Joel focuses on it. He says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong there hath not been ever the like, neither shall there be any more after it, even to the years of many, many generations. That is the nature of the day of the Lord. It's not a happy time. And so, that's coming. That's what's coming upon this whole world. Now I want to speak to you about the nearness of the day of the Lord. All of these prophets that I just read, and all of them, including Obadiah, say the day of the Lord is at hand. Obadiah says the day of the Lord is near, is near. That's an interesting thing. You might be asking, well, preacher, the Bible says the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is at hand. These prophecies were written thousands of years ago. As a matter of fact, the latest theology of the day of the Lord was written 2,000 years ago in the New Testament. And you're telling me that it's near, it wasn't near then? How do we know it is near now? Have you been asking that question? Well, I'm going to answer it whether you have or not. You might recall in 2 Peter, we are not on God's time clock. A day to him is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. To him, time is just nothing. To us, it's everything. Well, we need to understand when God says the word near, he is not speaking in terms of perspective in time like ours. He is speaking in terms of imminence imminence. The day of the Lord is imminent. In other words, it is impending. 
an imminent event does not necessarily occur immediately, but it could occur immediately. It is always, always to be expected. That's why the Bible says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night for those who are without Christ, for those who do not go to the Word of God to find their hope and their strength. It will come as a thief in the night. But we are taught to expect it, to expect it at any moment. Let me illustrate to you God's perspective on the day of the Lord, how we are to look at the day of the Lord. First of all, I will tell you that it is in two stages. We have, first of all, the rapture of the church for the church and then the tribulation period that the Bible talks about. And that is seven years, also referred to as the day of the Lord. It is future. But also, the day of the Lord is often in terms of now. Some of what happens now. That's why it is so imminent for us. And so, to continue with the illustration, suppose a preacher comes to the pulpit and he brings with him a glass of water and he puts the water, glass of water on the edge of the pulpit. And before he begins to preach, the congregation is staring at that glass of water because he set it close to the edge. And they're worried that that glass of water is going to fall off the pulpit and be spilt all over the platform. But he gets to preaching. And he is such a wonderful preacher and a dynamic preacher that people take their eyes off the glass of water. They just take their eyes off of it. And he's just a preaching, and they're just like First Baptist folks. They're so in tune, they don't recognize anybody else except their bald-headed preacher. <laughs> and they're listening to what he says. And that preacher's preaching, and he comes forward and he pounds the pulpit. And that water cup moves. And the water inside ripples a little bit. And everybody's taken back because when he pounded the pulpit, the water moved and almost spilt over. But it's still there on the pulpit. And he keeps on preaching. And ere long, they forget about the cup of water. They just ignore the glass of water. And he keeps on preaching. And he gets back to the pulpit and he pounds on it again. And that cup shakes just like it did. And the water ripples. And they are taken back. That water's about to spill. If he keeps on banging on the pulpit, that water's about to spill. It's on the edge of the pulpit. It's about to be poured out. He better be careful. And then he commences to preaching again. And they forget about the glass of water. They just ignore the glass of water. They're so in tune to the message, just like you. And he bangs on it again. He bangs on it again. And everybody is afraid when he pounds the pulpit that the glass is going to fall and be poured out. This is the sense in which the day of the Lord is near. His word is always before us and proclaimed. 
But from time to time, God pounds on the pulpit and draws everybody's attention to his wrath and his justice. And ere long, they forget about it. And then God comes throughout history again and bangs on the pulpit. And people begin to focus on the cup of his wrath, his justice. And life goes on and things go on and people begin to forget about the ripple in the cup. They begin to forget about how close it is to the edge. And they continue to live their lives forgetting about the justice of God coming upon them. And they're answering for their sin. Just life goes on until God bangs on the pulpit again. God pounds the pulpit We have war, we have pestilence, we have a tsunami, we have an earthquake. Look at America, look at the United States. I came here in January and in September we had 9-11 and the whole nation heard the pound of God upon the American pulpit. They saw the glass move and shake and the water ripple. And they looked at it for about a week. And it was over. And then here on the coast, we had a lady visit by the name of Katrina. Took out much of our city. Wiped out coastal towns. Raised the insurance rates. We're still having trouble with that. And we focused on that for just a little bit. And then we rock along and God comes down and pounds the pulpit again and sends COVID. I didn't hear a single person focus on the glass. Not one person talk about, boy, that pulpit pound of COVID That pound from the fist of God. Never heard them talk about the ripple in the glass. Now, last summer, we had the riots burning up our cities in America. Everybody blamed Donald Trump or Joe Biden or somebody. But nobody that I hear say, God is pounding the pulpit. His justice is about to be poured out. I didn't hear anybody say that. And now today, the inflation in our country, out of control, people are beginning to feel it and hurt. But I don't hear anybody say God's pounding the pulpit. And I just wonder if he's going to pound it again. And the wrath will be poured out. And it'll be too late. And his justice will be served. That is what he means when he says the justice of God, the day of the Lord is at hand. That's what he means when he says it's near. Every time he pounds the pulpit to get our attention, it moves over to the edge of the pulpit. And eventually... It'll fall off and his wrath will be poured out. Ultimately, 
ultimately and imminently the glass is going to fall and His wrath is going to be poured out. And the day of the Lord, the justice of God will culminate in the day of the Lord which is always near. Second, the day of the Lord or the justice of God is universal. Our text says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. That can be translated all the nations, the Gentile nations. No one is exempt. Not any nation is exempt. Pride will tell you how good we are. But God says, I've pounded that pulpit and my justice will be met upon all nations, all the heathen, all nations. The justice of God is universal. Also, we see from this text that the justice of God is vengeful. This is a vengeful justice. As thou hast done, it'll be done unto you. Isn't that what the text says? Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Verse 16, For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall the nations, the heathen, drink continually. We do not talk much about the vengeance of God, but it is a biblical truth. This is the God we don't want to know. This is the God we don't want to study about. This is the God that causes people to go from one church to another church if one mentions the vengeance of God. But this is why we preach verse by verse through the Bible. I do it for me and I do it for you. I do it for me so I don't become a coward in my preaching and just preach it. And I committed a long time ago, Lord, I'm not going to, if a hard text comes up, I'm not going to bypass it. It irritates me to no end when I'm reading the commentary and they bypass a whole bunch of verses. It irritates me to no end. But we don't hear much about the vengeance of God because we want a warm fuzzy, don't we? Well, let's stick with the Word of God here in Obadiah. He is a vengeful God. Let me read to you. Isaiah 63. And Isaiah is preaching about Edom. Who is this that comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak then righteousness mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treads the wine vat? I have trodden the winepress alone. And of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. That is God talking. That is God talking. Jeremiah, Nahum, Paul and Thessalonians, the Paul, his advice and wisdom to the preacher Jude, the pastor Jude, speaks of the vengeance of God. Hebrews 10, for we know him that said, vengeance belongs unto me. 
I will recompense, said the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God says here to the Edomites and to all of us, you will reap what you sow. Remember what they did and what they did not do, the cruelty, the apathy they had when their brother was being uh, taken and ravished by the enemy. They stood aside, and an offended God says, My vengeance and justice will be served. And then the justice of God is irresistible. Look what he says here. So shall all, verse 16, so shall all the nations drink continually. So shall all the nations drink. We have seen in verse 15 that no one is exempt from God's just, justice. Now we see that no one will escape. No one will escape the justice of God. No nation, no individual will escape the justice of God. We shall drink, is what he says. At the end of the age, the Bible says in Revelation 6, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? It is irresistible. And then a fifth truth is the justice of God is eternal. They will drink continually in perpetuity. The Bible speaks of hell where people still in their sin, uncleansed, unredeemed, will spend their eternity. Hell is described as a place where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. You see, justice involves two words, obligation and offended. If we are told to love our neighbor by an eternal lawgiver, then we are eternally obligated to obey His law because the lawgiver is eternal. If we offend an eternal obligation, we have offended one who is eternal and the punishment will be eternal. And so when you have a justice system, the judgment and the punishment for violating the lawgiver depends upon the nature of the lawgiver. As long as the lawgiver lasts and exists, so also the punishment lasts and exists. And so we have an offended, eternal lawgiver. The measure of justice is determined by the measure of the obligation and the measure of the offended. I say all that to tell you that in today's theological circles, what's coming down the pike is this idea that hell is not eternal. And it's on the rise. Some good men, men who have been once faithful to God's Word and have upheld it and preached it that I relied on, that I read and study in their latter days, in their older years, I do not know what has happened, but what they have done is they have compromised. 
One of the greats, John R.W. Stott, in his last days on earth, was migrating toward this idea that hell is not eternal. One of the leading teachers that the millennials in our day flock to says hell is not forever, Rod Bell, Rob Bell, and it is on the rise. But I want to tell you something. The Bible does not teach that right here in Obadiah. The worm dies not. The fire is not quenched. The gap cannot be closed once one is in hell. The justice of God is eternal. They drink continually the justice of God. And then the justice of God will be satisfied. The justice of God will be satisfied. The Bible says in Obadiah, they shall be as though they had not been. That's verse 18. They, and then verse 18, they shall be stubble. But look at verse 16. And they shall be as though they had not been. When the Edomites went into the city of Jerusalem after it was ransacked, apparently they went up on the mountains and in Jerusalem, perhaps even what would become Golgotha Hill itself, maybe the Mount of Olives, and they had a drunken party, is what many say. And God says, you've drunk on this mountain where well, you're going to drink my justice, and you will drink continually forever, and you will be as though you have not been. It's eternal. And God's justice is satisfied. We read this text and we need to be reminded of something in, in the American brand of Christianity. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. Do not err on this, brethren. God will judge sin. If He does not, He has no credibility at all. He will judge sin. Your sin and mine will meet His vengeance and wrath. He will pound the pulpit and pour the water out on us. His justice will be satisfied. His grace will be grace. His mercy will be mercy. But His justice will be just. So, you're kind of tense right now. I hope we are. Because this is a reality we cannot deny. We, we cannot deny. If we deny this, we will preach a salvation without repentance, which is no salvation at all. So what do you do with this? What, what do we do with the justice of God? Preacher, give us something that warms our heart. But you know, isn't that just like what Scripture does? It warns us. And warms us. So preacher, give us the warmth now. I am glad to do that. Because it is an impartial gospel if we warn without warming. But it is a fool's gospel if we warm without warning. Do you hear me? It is a fool's gospel. It is another gospel as Paul says. So what can you do? What do you need to do? 
Well, like the Philippian jailer, there may be one or two or three who are here asking, what must I do to be saved? The justice of God is sure. I hear that. The justice of God will be met. It's vengeful. It's irresistible. And it will be satisfied and is eternal. And it will culminate one day in hell for me. What must I do to be saved? Well, the answer is the cross of Christ. The answer is Christ on His cross. That is where God pounded the pulpit against sin. Your sin and my sin. And the glass poured out on the cross. Flew off His sacred pulpit and poured out upon Christ Jesus. Now make no mistake. You have to understand this. If you are saved from your sin today, it is not, listen to me, if you don't get anything else, get this, it is not, we are not saved because God has tempered His justice with grace. God does not temper and ease His justice with grace and mercy. He does no such thing. It is because God's justice and wrath and vengeance and hatred of sin, all of it in totality, was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It was not because he said, I'm going to judge you for your sin, but I'm going to give you a little grace and let you go to heaven. That is a lie. No wonder you don't worship the Lord like you should if you believe that. I want to tell you, God poured his complete wrath. All of hell poured out on him on the cross. And he suffered the wrath in its fullness of God Almighty. You say, well, preacher, it was just for a few hours. Do you know who Jesus was? Do you know who Jesus was? Get your concept of Jesus right, then you can understand and answer that question. The wrath of God was poured. He doesn't temper His justice. He has satisfied His justice on the cross. That's where sin has been judged, on the cross, complete. And at the cross, he poured out his wrath. But from the cross, he poured out his grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness toward you. Somebody told the story of Oliver Cromwell in England, said that he had... uh, made a decree that a man should be executed. And he said he's going to be executed at the stroke of 12, when the clock reaches 12. And the man's wife came and begged for his life. And he wouldn't spare it. And he said, when the clock strikes 12, your husband will die. And the story is she went up into the tower of the clock and grabbed the clapper. And at 12, it began to swing back and forth, and her hands stood between the clapper and the bell. And her hands were crushed and marred and bruised. And when it quit swinging, she fell down to the ground. 
her hands crushed. And they came and told Cromwell about it, and Cromwell said, the stroke did not sound. He's free to go. See, Jesus was the one who pierced his hands and took the wrath of God for you on the cross. That's called the doctrine of substitution. He takes his wrath, you get his righteousness. His love is manifested at the cross. Grace is manifested at the cross. Justice is completely, wrath is completely poured out at the cross. So you can be saved from the wrath wrath to come. The theology of the cross is simply this, being justified freely by His grace. There's that word just again. But it has a change. It's called justified. You know what it means to be justified? It means just as if you had never sinned. So being just as if you had never sinned freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood. Propitiation means God is satisfied, His justice is satisfied through faith in the blood of Christ shed at the cross to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins to be paid in full that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, that at this time in righteousness, that it... He might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. When you get to heaven, you will fully understand, and I will too, the full justice of God being met at the cross and how God could be gracious and just at the same time. We realize it now, but just wait till we get to heaven and see His glory. And so that's how God can be gracious and just at the same time because He was just toward His Son and gracious toward us. You can be saved from the wrath to come. Let me give you another text before we move to this other thing to do. A group of um, people came to Jesus in the Gospel of Luke chapter 13. And they told him of a terrible event performed by an evil man. And they told him of a, of a disaster. A, a disaster it, where two times God pounded on the pulpit. And it says there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So... These Galileans came to worship and they had their sacrifices and Pilate, in an evil act, slew some of them and their blood was mingled with the blood of sacrifice. Can you imagine such a thing? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans, greater sinners than anybody else, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish or what about those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them think ye that they were sinners above everybody else that dwelt in Jerusalem I tell you nay but except you repent you shall all likewise perish so Jesus tells us sometimes when God pounds the pulpit terrible things happen to people 
and some people seem to be left alone. But those that are left alone do not need to be puffed up thinking, oh, I'm not that bad a sinner. Jesus said, except you all, you must repent, you will all likewise perish. That's the cross. That's, that's why we must preach on sin and the judgment of God on sin. And the Holy Spirit takes this truth and He convinces the person, the sinner, that they need to be forgiven and they need to be cleansed and they need to be saved. And Jesus took their place on the cross. He's the one who took the wrath of God. And it wasn't tempered by grace. It was the full wrath of God for you. He knew the full wrath of God so you can know the fullness of grace upon grace upon grace. That ought to warm your heart. Let me give you one more thing. Don't be getting ready to go. This is important. The justice of God also speaks to the Christian. This doctrine speaks to the Christian. Dear brother and sister in Christ, do not be repelled by this doctrine. Do not leave here today and say, Dr. Mike did not encourage us today. He was kind of harsh today. First of all, it's not me. It's Obadiah. Really, it's not Obadiah. It's the Lord. <laughs> Amen. That's the good thing about preaching the Bible. You can say, don't get mad at me. God's the one who wrote that stuff you can't deal with. Do not be repelled by this doctrine because I want to tell you, if you do not know it, and if you do not believe it, and you do not consider it and meditate upon it and think about it, then you will not worship. Did you hear what I just said? If you do not consider this doctrine... And consider it often. You will not worship. How can you rightly worship when you do not rightly think about your God? This is what propels us to cancel our preferences when we come here on Sunday morning. Why should you give Him thanks if He is all love and all grace? Because that's just how He is. And you will grow to take advantage of him. He will become to you a grandfather with deep pockets. But if you consider the wholeness of our God, who he is, his justice and his wrath, and how it was poured out on the cross of Christ, and how the love of God was manifested for you at the cross, and you were saved because he has been gracious to you and just with Jesus on the cross when he took your sin then you can come in here with a full knowledge. We have a just, holy, righteous, vengeful, wrathful, wrathful God who is not that way with me because of Christ. And you'll be able to worship. But if you get this little bitty old weak-kneed, silly Jesus, you're not going to worship. You're going to find something to complain about. But I want to tell you, if you have an understanding of God, and who he is, and his character. These principles from little old Obadiah, you'll come in here with a thankful heart. It'll change your work for Jesus. You'll know he is going to pour the water out, and you will seek souls upon whom that water of wrath will fall on. You will serve him with a passion and gratitude and appreciation and love for what he has done for you on the cross. 
And this day will not take you as a thief in the night. So that is what we learn from the justice of God when he pounds the pulpit. Amen and amen. Thank God for this wonderful text. What a privilege it has been to preach from this little book of Obadiah. One more sermon left. But I'm so thankful for these two verses in my Bible because I understand more of His graciousness toward me in Christ Jesus. I understand more of why we gather every week to give thanks to this magnificent, holy God, the God of the burning bush, the God that drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, the God that wiped out the Assyrian army, the God that has done marvelous, great, and awful things, has said for eternity, you have offended an eternal God, and you will be punished for eternity. And then he says, but you have gone to Jesus and placed your faith in Jesus, and my wrath is eternal, but so is my grace eternal. You get a hold of that, folks, it'll revolutionize your Christian service and your worship to the Lord. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.